The Verging on Greatness, a podcast about films that verge on greatness, but mostly just wallow in mediocrity, with your hosts, Mike Porkfeld and Craig Cerventi. Yes! Yes! Hello! Good evening! Hello! Good morning! Do we... And everything in between. How many, how, many pod, how many episodes of a podcast do you have to do before you can stop doing the intro and just start talking about what you're talking about, like, without having to explain what the podcast is about? I feel like 30, no, I, I I feel like you have 30 to should time. be it. Do you keep doing it? <laughs> yeah, well, what we could do is we could get clever and, like, just record an intro that we just layer oh, over the see, top. See, that's, ne- and then that's we just, next we level just thinking. Dive into it so we can just skip the intro part and just go, yeah, movie. All right, well, we're talking about. Yeah, in the ab- in the absence of that, um, this is a podcast called Virtue on Greatness. Welcome, hello. We're just taking care of a little bit of admin. We'll get to the podcast in a sec. Um, this is a podcast where me, Mike, and my friend Craig. Hi, Craig. Hello, hello. We talk about a movie that is verging on greatness. It's not quite great. It's pretty good. It's not quite there though. There's something holding it back, and we try and. Uh, pull it apart and figure out what it is. Is it the cast? Is it the story? Something to do with the theme or the way it's shot? Is it too long, too short? Uh, and try and figure out what would what we would change. What's what's missing? What would we do differently? Uh, and because we're 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 noted world well, worldwide as Academy Award winning uh, you, uh, directors and producers. So people people you're asked, welcome. People asked and asked and asked, and we finally gave up. Just in. all the time, and Craig and Mike. <laughs> <laughs> what would you do to fix this multi-million dollar film yeah. well i'm glad you asked hollywood we're here to tell you <laughs> we're here to help uh, uh this week we're here to help i mean it's we're a little late to this one this is a 1985 movie called clue uh based on clue based on a board game so it's yeah it's, it's not a long not a long history of movies based on board games it's a it's a it's quite a niche one could argue that this is when Hollywood officially hit rock bottom. <laughs> we've 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 oh, done this... literary. We have yet to do comics, but we've done literary to death. We've done remakes. Like in '85, they were already doing remakes. Um, gosh, I mean, they were doing remakes in the 1950s. Um, so but, so uh, many ways. Now, so now many it's like... points of time to argue that Hollywood hit rock bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Paulie Shaw in the nineties. I mean, that was rock bottom. <laughs> um, I'm being mean. Paulie Shaw was 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 a product of his time. You can't blame Paulie Shaw for Paulie Shoring. You have to blame the nineties yeah. for Paulie Shaw. It's certainly um, it's certainly a sign that ideas were starting to become thin on the ground. That's the that's the first real reach where you you can picture someone. You can picture a boardroom full of executives, and no one of them have talked for about ninety minutes, and one of them just goes. Board, board games <laughs> i played this great game of clue last night tell me more <laughs> <laughs> or it's or it's it's some deal right it's milton bradley or or it's like or who's parker brothers like parker brothers? And, uh, i'm not sure who makes clue the game it's some, uh, we should figure that out yeah it's it's but that's it's someone it's someone making it it's someone making a deal it's something it's i mean okay and, and what a perfect time to do that 1985 um the very middle of the 80s for someone to sell out two medium mediums media that people love for a, a crossover and an un- unnecessary crossover yeah i mean um it was i guess i'm surprised it i'm surprised it happened this early because i mean obviously now we've got the benefit of hindsight and we know that they've they've actually tried to do um board game to movie more than once unfortunately we, we wound up with um 
with the very watchable uh, battleship, <laughs> which is just bonkers um, as a concept uh, to to link it to a to a board game. But yeah, in eighty five, I which, think I think this you could almost this you, was an ambitious film. You could I actually could describe is, you could actually describe Clue the same way. I think it is fairly watchable and at the same time absolutely bonkers. It is. It is a bonkers movie. It is. It really is a bonkers movie. I think um, off 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 um, off air. Mike and I thought we were recording different podcasts today as well, which is kind of funny because um, I had suggested two films pretty in pretty close succession. This was the first one, and we might we might come back and do the other suggestion at a later date. Um, but yeah, so we started off today thinking that we were recording different podcasts. <laughs> Craig, which is culminated, which is complicated by the fact that both films have multiple endings so um spoiler alert everyone uh we're going to spoil the shit out of this movie um, but it's from 1985 so craig's just showing you behind the curtain a little bit here (laughs) so yeah yeah so so, we're in this so it's a movie we take take us through it mike so what's going on in this movie so it's a movie based on a board game so a, a lot of it is is written for you like the characters they've okay you've got to have your six characters representing yep. the six characters and they the play, introduce the they PCs, introduce two new characters playable char- characters from the game and then you introduce some new characters you've got to have a victim so the victim yep. is introduced and then you've also got you've got some staff who are working in this mansion so the characters are the characters come preformed and so does the so does the location in fact that comes preformed as well it's got to be in a huge grand house with different rooms um, but, that's right and they introduce the some set number of rooms and they introduce some staff they have a butler and a a maid <laughs> a singing telegram girl and a, and a cook <laughs> and uh, oh, they throw in a few more victims over the course of the movie as well but essentially that's the those are your that's the core the core characters come out of literally out of the box uh, i like that the the uh, the victim is called mr body <laughs> so they find a body <laughs> <laughs> That, that's so, that's actually a pretty good microcosm of the the humor of the movie in fact it's yes it's it's self-aware but it's it's not stupid either like it's no i mean <laughs> for the, so this for the film, most part this this film's made by some talented people i mean it's it's directed by jonathan lynn um and i think this was his first outing as a as a film director um he's an english theater director um who wound up directing films this is um so this is his first i think this is his first credited film um but he would later go on to have not not inconsiderable uh success he directed um a film i'm quite fond of which is uh, my cousin Vinny, um Mm. which is which is a good film um and he would also go on to do um, a couple of other films, but in in particular, he does the whole nine yards, and he also does Nuns on the Run. If you've ever seen that, oh, Nuns um, so, on the Run. Yeah, so he's he's responsible for those films, but he is a. I think he's originally a theater director, uh, an English theater director. So, um, and unsurprisingly, this film is shot in England. I think I think it's at one of the the Shepperton Film Studios, or it's the the pinewood film studios i think i could i could be wrong um but yeah which kind of explains how tim curry gets here because uh tim curry obviously english um and and um famous for being a theater actor before being a film actor 
but he came to film via rocky horror picture show which was a stage show so you can see how that that mm. transitions him into to film right so uh and and gets him here so it is we, so we looked this up it's a rocky horror is 10 years 10 years Before earlier this. than this that's 1975 yeah. not only and this is 1985 not only does tim curry not look like he's aged today it's it's in, in a lot of ways it's almost exactly the same movie in that it's 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 a it's very camp it's set in a grand old mansion yeah tim tim curry is your leading man and he he really steals steals the whole movie he really does he is um he is i don't want to i don't want to sound too pretentious but he really is kind of a tour de force performer so i think he's he's either someone you have to keep under very very tight wraps the entire shoot or you just go tim curry go nuts and then tim curry does tim curry and everybody else just tries to keep up um so either Tim Curry, I, I want to believe that Tim Curry was that big in real life, um, but it is the '80s. Cocaine was a thing, so yeah, and it's yeah. it's and it, it, it works. He's he's funny and he, he does he does hold the movie together in in a lot of ways. It's very complicated, um, as as you'd expect. It's a it's a, a campy over the top murder mystery. There are theories and counter theories flying around and motives and counter motives and intrigues within intrigues and you really rely on tim curry to fall back on as the one who is he's he's your guide he's your your, yeah he's your your entry point for he's meant to be your entry point for the audience um i think like think from a writing point of view though um like this is uh, uh, this is a this is written and produced by John Landis of Blues Brothers fame and mm. uh, American Werewolf in London, amongst other things. John Landis. Um, it's also produced by Deborah Hill. So between between those three people, particularly Landis and Hill, um, they're they're really good filmmakers. Um, particularly Landis, he's he had some issues later in his career, which meant that he is now a bit bit more of a um, a history note point and his son max landis is just a human dumpster fire um but uh john landis was a very very good filmmaker and um uh, i think his involvement and his fingerprints are all over this film like wh- whilst watching it i got the feeling i was watching a john landis film so i wonder how much of an involvement he had on set um but uh, i think from a from a from an achievement point of view this this is a clever film uh it's written in such a way that you can have one of three endings with only small changes um so it makes the plot quite ambiguous right up until the final reel of the film where they inst- where they insert one of three filmed endings um so if you haven't seen this film it's got a neat gimmick which is that um, when it was originally sent to cinemas, you got one, uh, in theory, at, at random, you got one of three different endings which changed who the murderer was. Um, so I think in all of those endings, you get at least two murderers, whether it be, uh, I think it's the Yvette the Maid um, or um, Scarlet uh, or Mr. Peacock, Mrs. Peacock. Um, or in the the penult or the ultimate ending, they're all guilty bar one, um, and 
so that i mean from a from an achievement point of view that's quite clever um i mean and 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 to get it funny as well at the same time i mean you've got a lot of a lot of real big title talent in here or funny talent you've got like obviously you've got tim curry uh chewing chewing the scenery you've also got madeline khan who is hilarious you've also got christopher lloyd who is generally speaking hilarious um and everybody else is is putting on a show you've got yvette and yvette's boobs which are hilarious um <laughs> yvette plays this french maid um in a french maid outfit and i don't know how they they got her into that outfit but um yeah she's she's i don't, she's I don't know how they a, i don't know how they kept her in that outfit i don't know how yeah they poured her into it uh, gosh um i don't know how she stayed in it 1985 um, what a time there is there's one point at which she's she goes to sit down and she literally just throws the front of the skirt up <laughs> Full frontal <laughs> knicker shot. Flash the audience her knickers, yeah. While she's while she's sitting down for no particular reason. I've no reason at all. Never, I've never known a woman to sit down. To sit down. To need to, to, need to throw out the front of the skirt. Usually they smooth the back. But she, yeah, so they're either sitting she, on it or so it's covering, you know, but she throws up she the She just front. Tosses, tosses the front out. And I don't know if that's, uh, what's that, what's the actress's name? Colleen Camp. I don't know. If, I don't know if that's Colleen Camp. Just a moment of moment of inspiration struck. What if she just, what if she just tossed her skirt out and just flashed, flashed her pants? Or if that was, or if that was, you know, John Landis or someone going, hey, you know what? I think, I think your character needs a funny way to sit down, and I think it would be best if it involved showing your underwear to the camera. Can you do that? <laughs> well, I mean. Uh, her her boobs practically get a starring credit uh, in this film because I, I think I mean that's basically how she's introduced as her vacuum cleaning and bouncing around, and in, in the most plungiest of tops that I think the 80, 1985 saw. Um, and they really just so, yeah. it goes over and over as well. It's she's serving the food and how many how many shots how many how many shots of oh, her leaning, a lot of leaning shots over of. of yeah, where she's serving food and leaning over, and these these male characters desperately trying not to just fall into the crevasse. So, <laughs> 1985. Um, 1985. It was a simple time. Um, <laughs> simple and much more complicated at the same time. Um, but yeah, this film is. Uh, gosh, oh, we were, you were going to we say you about- mentioned you so you you mentioned um, Madeline Kahn. Now that's that's another line of you said you said you noticed John Landis in this, and I um, maybe it's just Madeline Kahn, but I was thinking Mel Brooks a lot. Yeah, um, I mean it's hard it's, not to think Mel Brooks when you it's think his Madeline era. Kahn. Madeline Kahn is in it. Who was of course in Blazing Saddles. Um, uh, she plays. Oh, what's the name? She's the singer. I, I forget her name. Frau something or other. Uh, yes, the German the German singer uh, Lily von Stuck. Uh, and and she plays um in young frankenstein she plays um frankenstein's wife or, or his betrothed yeah. who winds up yeah. who winds up marrying the monster <laughs> and she's yeah, um, she's tremendously talented so she plays miss white uh and that's a nice little twist on the colors where she's dressed all in black because she is in mourning yeah um, and you find out that it's because, well, it's implied that it's, her husband has died, and it's implied that she has killed the husband because he was because ha- right. he was having an affair. He's a known philanderer. That's right. And they they do a good job of setting up all of the characters. So they they introduce all these characters under the 
the premise that they've all been called there with with anonymous letters um and uh this is interestingly enough I, I noted that there was a lot of casual sexual assault in this film like um everyone's grabbing uh everybody else's buttocks uh, seemingly <laughs> at random like for no for no reason so that was the uh, agreed upon way of um you know a- indicating to a potential sexual mate that you were interested in but just casually grabbing their buttocks throughout the film um but um uh so all the characters are introduced by the idea that they've had an anonymous letter sent to them and to turn up to this mansion all of them have skeletons in their closet um whether it be uh their their uh, this is 1985, uh, closeted homosexual, or they, they, they may be a, a, Holly, um, a Washington um, power player, but they're also a, um, a madam for or a prostitution ring. Uh, so they all have they all have reasons to stay quiet, or to or that they all have something that somebody can hold over them, a position of power over them, and that's how they all wind up in in the mansion. Um, so that's the premise, and then there's a person called Mister Body who winds up dead at least twice um who then it becomes the who done it who killed mr body and mr body is the blackmailer so they all have motive to kill mr body and the idea then is to figure out who did it like the game clue so just remove the dice and the and you're there so that's that's basically the film in and a nutshell and he, then, he's and mr body um before he is killed he hands out a weapon to each of them and then turns out the lights with the with the instruction that one of them needs to kill wadsworth and then somehow it'll all be fine but he somehow he turns out the lights and he winds up killed <laughs> so there's a few there's a yeah. few leaps that they ask you to take which yeah, is which think, is fine i, I mean it's that sort of movie I don't think I don't think anyone making this movie thought they were making a suspenseful mystery film. I think everyone involved in this film was like, "It's a movie based on a board game. Let's just go nuts." Yeah. So, um, um, I, I think that's what wound up on camera. I mean, my favorite part of the film is is quite late in the third act, where a, a, at random singing telegram girl turns up, <laughs> and it's all point of view, <laughs> singing telegram, and then she starts to sing, and then all you see is her being shot. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's one of my favorite parts of the film um <laughs> yeah com- but there's lots of scenes like that yeah so, completely um, out of nowhere completely out of nowhere so uh, i don't know i know you're this, all this wondering is, what happened what that singing telegram person's been up to because you've never seen them previously in the movie <laughs> well here they are at the door and they just got shot that's yeah that's that that's that little string tied up <laughs> i just <laughs> Yeah, um, and I think uh, in looking into this movie, I, I found that um, Carrie Fisher was also... I think you mentioned this earlier, Carrie Fisher was meant to be in this. Oh, you might have mentioned this off air, but yeah. yeah, Carrie Fisher was meant to be in this, but she couldn't because she had to go to rehab. So um, so this is a this is an interesting film made in an interesting time. I, I don't know what... I don't, I don't know what you can say more about this film. Like, gosh, we've only been talking about it for... Uh, 20 minutes and i feel already like uh ordinarily we would be just getting into the meat and bones of this problem but <laughs> so uh, here we're just like it is what it is <laughs> i mean it has a it has a cult following right and and, and i and i understand that like i think it's a it's it's a 
a, a movie that I can see a cult fan base forming around because it is a lot of fun. A lot of the lines are a lot of fun in a campy, in jokey kind of way. I can imagine it being fun to sit in a cinema with 50 other people who know this movie and just know what's coming at every point, know all the gags, know when someone's going to say, to cut a long story short, and then someone else is going to say, too late. These yep. those kind of those recurring gags, that's that's satisfying in a way that a lot of the, a lot of the comedies from this sort of era and earlier there, the Mel Brooks, it's, the it's, the airplanes, that that's yeah. that's satisfying. They're not they're not they're not lowbrow. They're not slapstick, but they're not highbrow either. They are they're middlebrow. They're they're not overly clever. Middlebrow. I like that. They're not yeah. they're not kind of face slappingly stupid either i think because towards the end of the 80s you wind up with the with the smarter sort of comedies like you had the you had the monty python stuff in the late 70s and early 80s which was just like completely off the wall absurdist non sequitur humor yeah um and then you have then it wouldn't be until then you have like the slapstick stuff um or the airplane the zucker brothers style comedy which is both clever and smart but also really dumb and silly um or the referential you know that referential humor yeah. where it's like you have to you have to understand the reference to be the the joke is the reference yeah that hot shot um, hot shots um top, se- yeah. top secret but that's that top secret yeah so the zucker brothers did airplane and they did top secret i think they also did hot shots um so and then it, so it's not quite it's not quite mel brooks which is like throw everything out and hope something sticks um so it's definitely going for a different style of comedy but at the same time it's there's a lot there's a lot of improvisational comedy as well where you've just got funny people in a room being funny and hoping that something works but um i i I feel like this is probably probably one of those films that suffers just basically in the ingredients so you've got all these funny people all these hyper capable actors and, and we're saying off air um, that Tim Curry is, I feel like Tim Curry is one of the most under underappreciated, even though he is a wildly popular actor. And I, I don't think there's many people that you can say Tim Curry to and they don't go, oh, Tim Curry, you know, from uh, uh, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Or, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, Penny, Pennywise the Clown from the It yeah. TV movies and stuff. Um, or if you're a little bit more... Um, onto it you, you might say call him the devil from uh from legend which is uh, a movie from the early 80s um but yeah he's he's this really really capable actor and i feel like he is underutilized everywhere he should should have been a much bigger star than he was um but yeah i think the main problem with this film is that it lacks a strong protagonist you wind up with a whole bunch it's an ensemble piece but i think you need that everybody i think you need that everybody character um who the audience can identify with and project themselves onto because all of the other characters in this film are just completely off the wall bonkers yeah um everybody else who's in it is just nuts and there's no um there's no strong protagonist to project onto i think it's meant to be tim curry but for the most part tim curry is is eight feet tall and is just being bonkers and leading people around and he becomes this clouseau style investigator um 
well not Clouseau. Um, I always I can never say his name correctly, but this Prawo sort of um, investigator figuring things out and making these huge um, deductive leaps in the in the manner of Sherlock Holmes. But he's not Sherlock Holmes. Um, and then depending on which ending you get, you wind up with um, a protagonist who was hiding throughout, or you wind up with um, the the, the police turning up at the 11th hour and sort of resolving the plot and it's it's i think that's what's largely missing is um it's an ensemble piece but it doesn't have a, a lead actor or a lead character oh, it just it just doesn't have a it doesn't have a way in and it can't be any of the six right they've all got to be equal you can't side with one or the other of the six that's right they've- and i think the filmmakers knew that because they created like these new characters they created yvette they created um wadsworth so they knew that they needed a framing device to get the six people so that you could figure which one of the six were the murderers or was the murderer or murderers but they i think they failed to capitalize on that so i think i think um john landis and and jonathan lynn both recognized that that that's what you need you need that framing device yeah but I, they, I, they failed it needs to be it's got to be wadsworth you could almost you could argue that it's it could be Yvette, except that she, if she didn't, if she didn't die, kind of. Yeah, half, I don't think there's a version of this where she doesn't so die, through. right? Yeah. No, so she dies. Yeah, she dies about sixty-four minutes through. So, kind of, yeah, approaching your approaching your second second turning point. Oh, in fact, it's just before the second turning point, which is where Wadsworth. So sixty-eight minutes, Wadsworth starts his his deduction. Uh, right uh and and yvette and yvette and also the cop and also the singing telegram all die immediately before that in succession right but i think i think and i think you're right so when it was written so you can see you you, they must have gone okay well we'll six we're going to make it we're going to make it a bit of a comedy we're going to make it an ensemble comedy because you've got to have at least six characters so let's make it an ensemble so these six characters okay we'll come up with these six characters and the six characters are great and they're all well balanced they're they're, all the actors know what they're doing there no one's no one's going too big no one's going too small they're all they're all meeting oh yeah they're constantly meeting each other absolutely (laughs) absolutely professional um I, I kept looking at um, Miss Scarlet and wanting her to be Susan Sarandon just because of the oh so the much, Rocky right? Horror Picture Show. You just every time you glance at she her, she even looks a bit she like looks her. a bit like her. she's so, got the big eyes. Every time you glance at her, you're just you're just a little bit surprised that it's not Susan Sarandon standing. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, that's what I thought as well. <laughs> um, I kept I kept looking at it, wanting her to be Susan Sarandon as well. But, but the, no, it's not. But uh, it's uh, Leslie Ann Warren who who probably had a career of being probably her entire career was spent compared to uh, Susan Sarandon. <laughs> she's just she's and she's perfect. She's great. They all like I say, all six of them. It's just a, a meaningless aside. All six of them play off each other really well. Uh, they're really well balanced and they're well drawn out characters. You know enough about them and they play them in the right way. They they have enough to work from to be funny to create those that improvisational reaction humor like you say they're spot on um but then you have yeah you have wadsworth and he's obviously he's been written to be that person you're exactly right you joe okay we've got six characters you need an in now you need a straight person you need someone that the audience is going to zoom in on that's like i said earlier and you you do that anyway with with uh, wadsworth because he's, he's in every scene 
Uh, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he's an attractive leading man. He's he's tall, he's thin, he's take charge. He's, and he's, he's um, making the you know, story happen at the start where nobody else knows why they're there. Wadsworth is the one who knows. So so he's yep. got this he's got this Wizard of Oz kind of feel about him. Okay, he is the he is the doer here. He is the one who is making this happen, which which yep. turns out to be kind of true, but kind of not, because um, he works also for Mister Body. That's right. Um, so he's both he's both uh, both protagonist and antagonist, depending yeah. on what scene you're in. He, but he's contrived. He's also contrived the situation. So he works for Mister Body. Or is he? Or is he blackmailed by Mister Body as well? No, he's an, no, he's one think, of his informants, isn't he? Because yeah, Body, no, he's this Mister Body has something over him as well. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the ultimate caveat of the film is that everybody there is is both victim and um, aggressor. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's, but but from from the beginning, you know, okay, watch this guy. He's the pivot. He is the one that it all hinges on but you yeah. just you need him to be re- relatable and he's and he's not quite there he he you follow him because that's where he is in the story that's what he does um and he's entertaining and he's funny but i just wonder if like you say if they'd brought him down cast cast someone a little straighter or rein tim curry in a little bit he could still be funny, but still be relatable as well. Where <laughs> when he's when he's swinging his arms and running from room to room, and everybody else is following him, you just yeah you, you lose that you lose that uh, connection to him. Uh, you wonder if Yvette could be it as well if they didn't go so over the top with Yvette. You probably need to do and her that. French accent. You probably need to do that with Yvette, <laughs> I guess. Um, but yeah, that's I think, I, I that's think, what it's that's uh, yeah. what it's lacking. <laughs> I, I agree. I think I think you're right. I think it needs that. It needs needs to be dialed. One character needs to be dialed down as the entry point. It needs a Luke Skywalker. You need you need that dumb farm boy that you can explain everything to, um, and the expositional device. Well, I think that's he needs. Or does he? He needs a Watson. True, he does need a Watson, which could have been a vet. I, yes. I kept waiting for a vet to turn out to be like FBI or something. I kept waiting for a vet to be um, <laughs> more more than she more than just um, a push up bra. Um, but she ultimately she's just a victim. Um, but I kept waiting for that or the cook, um, which never happened either. But yeah, yeah, the cook the cook dies dies quite early on. But yeah, you, and off you, camera, you, you I think, wonder yeah. if that could have if they could have come back and been the and then you have the yeah the evangelist who comes in uh, about yeah about eighty minutes through so really just before the end he comes in how much earlier could he have come in and so you just you introduce that a little bit earlier and then you call it back but but they they leave it they leave it to the last the evangelist I'm mentioning so he turns out to be in in each of the and I think each of the three endings he turns out to be yeah a, he turns out to be the police chief he's the he's the police chief yeah I think I think when they were writing this film like they had a really good concept I think the concept is really good I think everything about the film um, as, as good as it, as good as a concept can be for a film that's based it, on a board yeah game. based on a board game yeah um, uh, I think I think the concept is really good. I, I think the execution is almost there. I think where this film falls apart is I think it wrote itself into a corner 
and it needed some like i think the the concept of the three endings they knew they wanted to have the three endings so they wanted to encapsulate the game where every game is is random right so i haven't played clue in a while or cluedo depending on whereabouts in the world you are um but i know that the 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 murderer and the murder weapon are are randomized and I think they wanted to get capture that in the film. So this is ambitious from that point of view, and it makes it makes it stand above its contemporaries because it does give it that weird sort of like pick a path adventure style ending, which you're now getting on Netflix with um, the Black Mirror episode uh, Bandersnatch, or um, there's a Kimmy Schmidt movie which does the same thing where you can choose what's going to happen moment to moment in like an interactive film sort of a way. So this was that, but in the 80s. So prior to the technology, meaning that you could just do it at home. Um, I think that they got stuck on that idea. So they had to write the story that could then branch in three separate ways at any point. And I think that's where the writing kind of fell apart a little bit. I think if they had just gone and went, there's one ending... And you, um, and then you could have really just gone off the wall with the ending. Like at one point, everyone just turns to camera and barrels and go, <laughs> "You were the murderer," looking at the audience. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was an idea they probably had. But um, I think that's kind of where this film that that's what breaks the narrative structure of this film is the is the conceit that you need to have a really ambiguous um, plot. Um, or just really ambiguous timeline until you get to the final reel, which then you insert the endings. And so each of the endings has to make sense. And I remember when I was watching it, and this um, this is, again, uh, normally I would watch a film at least once or twice, at least twice for the podcast. And I would usually watch it quite close to recording, so it's quite fresh in my mind. But in this instance, I watched a different film for this podcast <laughs> quite close to the recording because I got screwed up. So I'm trying to remember. I, I think at the time I was like, oh, one of these endings, if you think about them too hard, don't make sense. Um, so if, if you just let it wash over you, it's fine, whatever. It just it happens. But I remember thinking, hang on, that doesn't match up. And... Um, and so I was get so I spent more time focusing on that than any of the the great dialogue. Like there's a uh, there's a line about Wadsworth and 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 Mr. Green. And it's like Wadsworth goes three murders and Mr. Green goes six altogether. And then Wadsworth Wadsworth looks quite seriously and goes, hmm, this is getting serious. And it's like, <laughs> like what the fuck? There's so many great lines in this film. It, 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 um, well, there's the other one, which is in the ultimate ending. So there's a closeted character. Is is that Mr. Green? Is yeah, the, it's Green. Michael McKean. Michael McKean. So he's he's meant to be this closeted homosexual. And the, the blackmail they've got on him is they're going to release to 1985 Reagan era um, America where, you know, they were denying there was an AIDS pandemic and, and people were dying. Um, and... Uh, so his his blackmail incentive to stay is to stay in the closet and someone's going to out him um, and at the final frame of the movie he turns to this room full of people after it's revealed that he is the undercover fbi agent or or similar he's the hidden protagonist and he go, and he resolves the film like haha i've solved everything and arrested the bad guy and he kind of turns around and says to the room now i'm going home to make love to my wife and then walks <laughs> off and it's, 
<laughs> it's so good. <laughs> After it's 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 good. Um, I, I think my my, yeah. my favorite line is right near the beginning. It's Christopher Lloyd. I think it's Christopher Lloyd where the car the car's broken down and they're they're a little bit they're still a little way off the this mansion and they've got to run. It's this creepy mansion and is it Miss Scarlet? She says to him, "Why is the car stopped?" And he says, "It's frightened." <laughs> 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 I think you're right. So one of the one of the other things about the three endings, and I wonder if it's not the fact that they had to have three endings, but there's one ending in particular, ending C, the third ending, where it turns out that everybody has killed at least Somebody. one person. One person. So that's yeah. that's the twist. It's not one killer killing lots of people. Everybody's killed someone, which is cool. That's nice. But you've got that's fine. six characters. That's a lot of people that's a lot of victims and they they really start having to ship these victims in um to the point where they, like they literally ship these victims to the point in. where that's like you literally say literally what they do they turn up to be murdered yeah so for, um, for no real reason <laughs> the singing the, the singing telegram is merely the zenith telegram. but i actually kind of i was fine with the, i was i was happier with the singing telegram than i was with the cop because the cop comes yeah. comes in goes to use the phone gets locked in the room complains about it they let him out then he winds up back in the room and they lock it again and then he's and then he's fine oh it's fine you're locking me in now i wasn't happy with it the first time but now i've it's a cop. now i've gotten to know you all i'm just gonna hang out yeah i'm good it's with cool this, now yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. The, the motorist was fine i was happy with him even the singing telegram i was happy with but the the cop yeah, it, it felt well. It the felt only like, person of color who in the film, only person of color in the film, it was. It felt like one too many, just just one too many silly murders, deaths. Yeah, yeah. Oh, and the cook, the cook dies too. The cook dies too. But at least it's not drawn out with the cook, and you only you only see her once, and then the next time you see her, she's dead, and she's got a knife sticking out of her back. The um. I was just thinking about it. So this this is a little little off to the left, but um, I was thinking that this film feels a lot like Murder on the Nile, so it feels very Agatha Christie. So I, I'm pretty sure that's how this film started as well. Like they're like, well, we'll just do an Agatha Christie murder mystery, right? Yeah. You have six people in a room. That that's basically an Agatha Christie, um, and then there were none. Um, and then you've got to figure out which one of the the six or the ten. I mean, in and in the play and then there were none um you start off with 10 people and um they all die scene to scene and you've got to figure out what and one of them is one of them is the murderer and you don't know which one it is so um uh, yeah i'm pretty sure that's how this starts so it felt it felt like a murder on the nile to me that that's what this most closely resembles did you watch it feels like a spoof did you watch knives out yes i did i liked it so i yeah this this made me made me think a little bit of knives out it's somewhat similar in tone somewhat similar in um story obviously um right it's yeah it's a it's a mildly camp not as camp as this but it's a mildly camp murder mystery it's a murder mystery played for laughs i guess yeah um no yeah i don't want to i don't want to talk too much about knives out because i think we could probably do it for this podcast at some point but um i think knives out uh, comes at it in a slightly different way which is like the murderer is always who is presented as the murderer like if if your gut feel is like 
that's what the murderer is, then you're probably right. Um, and the the knives out is more about like the cool way in which they go about it and like having fun with the characters than it is about like a convoluted um, Agatha Christie style. They all did the murderer, um, uh, as opposed to as opposed to like a, a who done it, as it were. So. Um, it, yeah they, they strip all that away and it's just like well it's pretty obvious who the murderer is the one who stands to gain the most so um but yeah i think this is yeah back to this um one i think can i make one one more point one scene we haven't talked about the, oh, yes. the scene where they the cop is looking around and to, and to make him think that they to to, to conceal the bodies oh. they stage a party and they have characters <laughs> make out with dead bodies <laughs> very weekend at burning um, <laughs> nothing amiss here um <laughs> what geez, the like, hell <laughs> yeah this 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 film has a and just to come back to the cop like obviously it's hard not to look at films with like a a modern gaze and go okay so one of the problems we have with representation in hollywood is that persons of color are often just um victims or set dressing um and it's readily apparent in this film where the only person of color on screen that has any lines is this cop who turns up and he's he's in it for mere moments um before he is 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 murdered or is, is shuffled off off screen somewhere um so yeah from from a from a, a more woke 2020 perspective this film does not do um african-americans or any persons of color for that matter any favors um it's 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 pretty terrible from that regards literally just turning up to you know this is my last day on the job or you know, i'm retiring soon or you know i've got something to live for bang dead this this so. often seems seems to be a thing is it the movies that we are choosing from like prior to 1995 or is it just that every every movie prior to 1995 was kind of horrendous in terms of treatment of of women and people of color i think i think that's indicative of the of of cinema in general i think um there are notable exceptions where you can point at and go well this movie defeats your argument because it it represents women well or it represents people of color well um and and sure i mean you can point at a spike lee movie if you want but um the reality is is that by and large western cinema is made by white men um, and features white men and all the good characters well not all a vast majority of the characters are played by white men and then women women in particular and and persons of color in particular are really just set dressing and that's readily apparent with colleen camp um in as the french maid she is she is literally eye candy um and and she is presented as eye candy because i mean whether they did it intentionally as the joke like this is the joke um or whether they did it so that the audience gets a look at it as well i'm not sure but there's a, a literal scene where she we talked about it earlier where she's serving food and leaning into into male characters face and the gaze is drawn to the cleavage i mean uh she looks fantastic um i don't know how she didn't then go on to be colleen camp and everything for five years after that but i had to i was like who the hell is this is she a playboy playmate that i 
didn't know about. Not that I know all the <laughs> claimants, but I went and I went and looked her up, uh, um, and I was like, oh, why is you know she? But she she doesn't then go on to have a career as being eye candy. She didn't like what I'm trying to say. She doesn't. She's not Pamela Anderson of 1985. Mm. She is she is something else, and she has a career that goes. But yeah, this is like the the role that she played, and I'm not sure if she played other roles like this. It's kind of telling when you go through imdb and it's like girl in bikini or dancing girl or 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 you know um they've got a name like stacy or something like that and it's like one and they're 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 two-thirds of the way down the cast list and it's like oh, okay they were they were cute blonde in the back um but yeah hollywood in general is pretty shitty with its um with its representation of women particularly women and people of color um and and they're really really shitty with with women um persons of color um they rarely get a role that you you'd want to be in and it's not until like you get into the 90s where you start getting these these more progressive roles coming forward when hollywood starts to respond to the criticism when more roles become available um and the movie that i i always think about is is bullworth with um with warren Beatty, which has got halle berry in it mm. um which is um, probably a good one for this podcast as well but ultimately it's a white savior film but i mean it's a step in the right direction i'm really not qualified to to talk too too much about this yet here i am having gone on about it for seven minutes so it's actually um, it's you would th- you would have thought by 1985 you you the, the, they would have seen okay we've got a cast of we've got an ensemble cast we need to cast we've got six characters to cast you think one of them could have been a could have been a non a non-white by 1985 a non-white i don't think yeah i mean um by 1985 at least by 1985 you've got you've got like um you know i, I don't want to i don't want to point one what hold one person out over another but like eddie murphy eddie murphy in 1985 is a huge box office draw like he's had um i think uh, beverly hills cop has come out um he's huge right so surely surely from a movie making point of view you're like hey we need to get eddie murphy into this movie but then i i guess this film is set in the 50s um and uh, is it set in the 50s yes it is so, you're, no you're right it's set in the yeah. mid 50s because they they play on a lot of like uh yeah communist, communist un-american kind of behavior yeah so i think i think like and politically as well i said it earlier this is the beginning of this is like mid reagan era politics so i think reagan was elected in 82 or 83 so this is um and and yeah so it's it the backlash hasn't started yet because he won by a landslide he won everywhere the 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 map was painted almost Mm. entirely red that's how much reagan won by it wouldn't be until um like 85 86 87 when when the wheels start to come off that that love affair with reagan um, and, and you start to get into the really awful stuff with like you know the the religious right agenda against queer and, mm. and uh, L- lgbtqi um people in america um but yeah just like the treat like i was quite surprised to see a homosexual or a labeled homosexual character come up in the film but it was that was the blackmail and like in context in 1950s america like that would be something that you would be wanting to keep in the closet because they were really backwards back then um but in in 85 that would have been more normalized i guess but still quite vilified in american conscious consciousness i suppose not enough to get Again, you openly I'm, fired but 
not enough to get you openly fired or it would have been at the start of like you know uh return to civil rights sort of stuff um where you, you could probably sue them for wrongful termination because you can't discriminate based on gender mm. or sexual identity i'm not sure if that's in the 80s yet or not but but you'd, you'd, um, st- you'd need to be willing to go through that process yeah i guess so I don't know why. Yeah, Hollywood politics. Mm. I mean, it's interesting when you start looking at it, and it's really. I don't know how we've pivoted so far away from the film, but it's interesting to talk about nonetheless. Um, it, when you get into, it's still quite prevalent in films like all the way up into the two thousands. So recently, my wife and I, Amy, she's a big fan of the Harry Potter films, and we were watching the Harry Potter films again. And so by the two thousands, when they're doing this, there's a lot of. Um, persons of color in eyeline so when they're filming those harry potter films like obviously the protagonists are all white um in that film um and but what they do in those films is and i blame chris columbus for this is a lot of in line of sight person of color so if you're mm. looking at it there's a lot lot more diversity in the film still none of the only one of them has any speaking or one or two of them have any speaking lines um but yeah once you start to notice it it's really really bad and um but that's american cinema tv show tv show friends is example that's been Uh, made a lot of lately as well yeah six white people in new york and um the only persons of color turn up as love interests for ross or joey um and yeah and that they just keep turning up star wars is exactly the same there's only one black person in the whole universe apparently um and that's lando (laughs) the coolest guy in the universe um and there's only there's only two women there's princess leia and mon motha um (laughs) so you know yay um but yeah i mean hollywood is is yeah, it's kind of kind of funny that like Hollywood gets this rep for these liberal agendas, you know, like Hollywood's liberal agenda. But at the same time, Hollywood is is very white, very male. Mm. It's it's quite interesting. Wow, that was a detour. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about Clue? <laughs> I like the um. I like. I think it's an ambitious film. I I think. Um, I'll, I'll spoil it every, for everyone now. I, I don't think this film is greatness. I think it's. Um, I, I don't know how you feel about it either, Mike. I, I think this film is not enough of what it's trying to do for it to be considered greatness i think it it struggles um under the weight of its own plot and the 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 main conceit with the with the three endings which um of which i think i enjoy ending c which is i think widely considered to be the good ending which they're all guilty of murder um and mr green turns out to be the hidden protagonist the entire time um that's my favorite ending uh it also has my favorite line which is the now i'm going to go home and make love to my wife um uh, so i think the film is worth a watch but um, i wouldn't go and uh break a leg trying to get it um but I, I think i think it's i think it's there's a there's enough of an idea there that you could probably do this film again if you had another go at it if you had another crack at it you could probably nail it because all of the structure is there. All of the conceit is there. I think it just needed a little bit of a tweak with um, a more a more readily identifiable protagonist. Um, and I think um, uh, this is one of those films that they probably thought they were being a lot funnier on set than they actually turned out to be. Um, 
uh, it's got the metal and Khan with the flames, the flames going up my face, my face, the heathen. Um, I mean, that was that was kind of hilarious. But that's just Madeline Khan being Madeline Khan. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I don't know how. How do you feel about this film, Mike? Uh, yeah, I couldn't call it. I couldn't call it greatness either. It's and I know there'll be there'll be fans, and I can see why it's got fans because it is. It's very funny. It's got a lot of very funny moments. Um, a lot of very yeah. funny people. I'm in not going to lie. It, uh, it's, I enjoyed watching. I enjoyed, it. Tim I enjoyed Curry watching. Is fantastic. It. Um, Tim Curry is fantastic. He's completely watchable. For all that, I don't know if he's. Exa- if I don't feel like he's what this movie needed. Uh, he's brilliant to watch. Uh, he's enjoyable. All of the core cast are enjoyable. Um, it's it's maybe if maybe if you'd made Tim Curry one of the the colored characters, like if you had made him Mister Green or if you had made him Colonel Mustard or something like that. And then you had, I think you needed like a more of a straight man. Like maybe like, I'm thinking swapping for Michael McKean. Probably, he'd be, he'd yeah, be a brilliant Mr. Michael Green McKean. and Michael McKean would yeah, be a great. Yeah, and then make Michael fan. I think you're, yeah, that would be great. Just switch them around. But I love that energy he brings as Wadsworth. And I, they probably cast him as Wadsworth because he was English and he could do that English accent and he does come off as Butler. But um yeah, maybe that's the kind of change around it was needing. I was thinking like it needed a, it still needs that, that young, it still needs that protagonist, not young. It doesn't need to be a young protagonist. It just needs to be, I don't know. They, it needs a Sherlock. They Holmes. kind of do need to be, kind of do need to be. Well, the straight one needs to be young, right? And that's why I was thinking about the. It's more of the Holmes than uh, more of the Watson than the Holmes. Watson than the Holmes. It's, it's the young yeah. person who can have things explained to him. So it does, yeah. You need a a, a butler and a, uh, a like a, a a bellhop or a, a shoeshine or yeah. He needs he needs or, an accomplice. Or a vet. Like if or, or like if you're going to change it, it around, be a vet if, if if you weren't using a vet make, as eye candy. Yeah, if you weren't just using her as eye candy, like why not use? Yeah, wouldn't that be neat? Where she um where she turns around and you know she pulls on a sweater vest and puts on some some big girl pants rather than that crazy French maid outfit. And, uh, she, she turns around to have some agency. Like, I mean, I mean, this is just 2020, um, talking here where they're like, well, why couldn't you do that? Why couldn't you make that, um, a switch around? Why, why would you, why would you just leave her as victim? Mm. Um, there's lots of victims in this film. Um, and if you want to be strict about it, you, you make one of the, the, the colored characters, the green mustard, scarlet, whatever you make one of them, the, the victim and, um, and you take it from there or I don't know. Uh, I think that's a, another direction to take it. I think from an achievement point of view and because I love John Landis, I think this movie is, 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 is good fun because it feels like a, a lost John Landis movie. Uh, but, but on a whole, I think this film is, um, just not not great it's not it's not it's not even really that good it's got some very laughable lines and it's got some very funny moments um but it's not the blues brothers it's not it's not influential cinema i don't think it ever will be mm. yeah all right well there you go 55 minute podcast there you people. do go all right we're yeah. gonna wrap it up uh th- we are gonna wrap thank it up. you for listening um we'll be back again uh soon soon um we may do little shop of horrors you never know hey (laughs) yeah yeah why not (laughs) (laughs) very good movies from the 80s that were verging on greatness 
Yeah, I think podcast. we definitely have to find some films that are in the 90s or the 2000s. Yeah, we've we done a few films. We're going to spread out. We've had a bit of a run. We're getting, we're we're getting bunched. We're getting grouped. All right. We are. All right. Very good. Thanks, Craig. Talk to you next time. Thanks, Mike. Bye, everyone. Bye.